You're tuned into the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder, and this week we're keeping with extreme athletes, in fact, extreme performers. We're going to go behind the scenes of Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas with Tomasz Kellerman. He's the strength conditioning coach for three of the shows on the Strip. You've got the Beatles' Love, you've got Mystere, and of course the O Show. He was kind enough to take me behind the scenes a couple weeks ago when I was in Vegas for the NSC National Conference. We're going to go through it all. Plus, his background in gymnastics, platform diving, and more. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder and enjoy the show. Well, Tomash, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This is going to be super. I And there's just so many thanks I want to give you. Thank you for the invitation while we're at the NSCA National Conference to see you more or less at work or in your workplace at Cirque du Soleil's O Show, taking us behind the scenes and seeing what that's all about. I'm still blown away by all of that. So I'd love to chat a little bit about that. But before we get underway with Cirque and all that, I'd love for the listening audience to get a little bit understanding of who Tomasz Kellerman is, where you've come from, and, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, first of all, thank you for the invite. Um, it's been my pleasure <laughs> to be here and uh, to be your host, actually, at the O Show. So, yeah, I'm uh, the strength and conditioning coach uh, for Cerda Soleil, mainly working at the O Show, at Mister and uh, Love Beatles. And um, originally, I'm a, I was a gymnast and a high diver. And from there, I became a performer. So I actually performed for six years uh, at the O Show as a high diver. And after the pandemic, uh, a position opened up. And by the time I got my master's degree at Setanta College, and uh, I was ready to jump into this new role. Um, as a coach, uh, I started coaching when I was 18, mostly gymnastics. So I coached like probably seven years, mainly kids, recreational um, general population. And when I got here to the US, that's when I started to focus on strength and conditioning and, and got into personal training, worked a little bit with, uh, with athletes, mostly part-time next to the show. And uh, so I, I transitioned full-time um, a little, little over two years ago. Wow, nice. Well, we're living kind of parallel paths in that respect where both of us were competitive gymnasts in our younger years. And actually, I was a gymnastics coach as well back in my hometown, as, as well as when I came out to Santa Cruz, the Santa Cruz Gymnastics Academy, worked as a part-time coach there with little kids and so on. So, but you took it one step further. What, what, what made you transition from gymnastics to high diving or platform diving? I just had a lot of injuries. I would say I was a really good gymnast until I was uh, 15, 14, 15, national champions in Hungary and so on. But the injuries kind of affected my uh, improvement. So when, by the time when I was 20 years old, uh, I, I kind of realized that that's it. I'm, I'm way behind and I'm just you know chasing something that is not there. And it was 2008, uh, Beijing Olympics. And I saw the springboard event, which until that point, I didn't really you know, realize there is a sport as diving. So then I, I, I was watching diving and I, I was thinking that, Oh my God, they just do somersaults and twists. That must be so much easier than gymnastics on screen. So then <laughs> the next day I went to the swimming pool. I, I found a, a great coach who had experience transitioning uh, gymnasts to, to diving, to divers. And it worked out pretty well because uh, in 
six months I was in a national team and I competed at the European Championships, some World Cups. And unfortunately, I missed the Olympics, but, but that gave me the opportunity to work in, in amazing places like Macau or here in Las Vegas in the biggest water shows in the world. Okay, I, I, I got to dial this back again. So you were a national champion in Hungary as a gymnast and you watched the Olympics and the very next day you go to, to a swimming pool and you hunt down a coach within a very short amount of time. That's, that's a lot of drive. That's a lot of focus. Is, is that how you live your life? I, I, just, I just had that feeling that, that this is something I, I have to try and, uh, and even though it was late, I started to look for articles that, you know, transitioning from gymnastics to diving. And I saw it, it's not like I'm, a, I'm a so special because it happens quite often. Uh, not, not always. So you still have to have that kind of body awareness. You know, you, it's a it's different sport. But uh, once you get comfortable landing head first, obviously, there is many things that is similar. There is, there is a reason why divers early on, they start with gymnastics. So, so there was this coach who actually got another diver to the Olympics when he transitioned when he was 16. And I just wanted to follow that, that food. I just wanted to get to the Olympics, no matter what. And, uh, and it very, very, like after the first few trainings, I just fell in love with diving. And, and I told my coach who was, by the way, my dad, that I'm done with gymnastics. Really? What was that like? How was that conversation? That wasn't easy because uh, he was an Olympic uh, medalist in gymnastics. So that's how, you know, as early on, I, I got to the gym and uh, I was just playing around and I stuck there. I also love gymnastics. I pretty much everything I, I do up until today, I, it's because of gymnastics. Um, and it was not easy for him, but obviously he understood and, and, and it turned out pretty well. I would say so. So from, from Hungary, did you say you went to Macau? Yes. And what were you doing there? That's like, um, I was working as a, as a high diver already over there. And it's like Cerdo Soleil in Asia, like one of okay. the biggest water show. Uh, and that's, that was a time when I actually learned high diving because when they hired me, I told them that there is one thing I'm not doing is diving from platform from uh you know 80 feet 85 feet so somehow when you see others doing it and you see the process how they um prepare a springboard diver and go up higher and higher you kind of have that adrenaline rush that you want to do it as well what was your first dive like at 80 something feet that was that was something else like it's it's a 2.5 seconds almost three seconds free fall so the feeling cannot be compared to anything else. It's, uh, it's, it's scary, but it's exciting. And the, the, one of the, the most hardest thing in, in high diving is the impact, to make sure you're ready for that impact. It, for me, and that's my personal experience, it just, there wasn't one dive and I'm like, I, it, was, it felt so good. Like there is always, that impact affects you. There is a reason why high divers can do uh, high volume of, of uh, dives from that height. So they have that, you know, low, low height where they train from, they go a little bit higher, but they do the biggest volume at the lowest height, technical skill training, and then a lot of visualization. But physically and mentally, especially 
both of them, I would say even, it's, it's very demanding. Wow. I would say so. I mean, from, from all perspectives, mental and physical, for sure, emotional, all of that. Okay, so from Macaw, you, did you enroll at Satanta College from there? No, I, I actually uh, got to Las Vegas. And, and that was a time when I started to get exposed. You know, in, in the national team, gymnastics and diving is not necessarily the sports that they have a lot of uh, resources in terms of sport, uh, sport psychologist, uh, nutritionist, uh, strength and conditioning coach. So we didn't really have those. And, uh, and here at Soto Soleil, I was exposed to a great strength and conditioning coach, who, by the way, was one of your guests, Ridge. Ridge Kiley, uh, yeah. Yes. Ridge, for, for the listening audience, Ridge was, I would say, a, a predecessor of, of Tamash, where uh, look for the earlier episodes of the Zealous Podcast, and you'll find Ridge Kiley and Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, and, um, and when I got here, that's when, when I started to fall in love. I actually never weightlifted before, before I got here. It was, you know, gymnastics, body weights, diving. Uh, these days, I see more and more lifting involved. But I just saw the, the benefits that gave me because when you're exposed to an environment where you have to do 480 shows a, a year and uh, every year there is not much break, you have to consistently keep your, keep your body in a, in very good shape. So you can re reduce the risk of injuries. And, and it, uh, in, the la in the five, six years while I was there, I barely got injured. Maybe I was just lucky. Maybe I, I, I got the right programs from my coach. Who knows what was the secret sauce? But, but that's how I started to feel like I need to study. I need to um, expand my knowledge because until that time I had a bachelor's degree. So I got my CSCS. I, I got my master's from Satanta College, which was a great experience, by the way, uh, learning while I could do my job as well. And, how did you uh, find out? I'm just curious. How did you find out about Satanta? To be honest, I was just Googling uh, places like uh, where, I could, where I could do my master's. And, uh, and when I saw the coaches who were actually uh, lecturers at the, at the college, like the names were just you know, Des Ryan, uh, Lauren Lando, Ian Jeffries, like, like big names in strength and conditioning. And, and those names were like, it was obvious that I'm going to choose that, that option. If I can learn from a coach who is knowledgeable on the science part, but also uh, working on the field with actual athletes, I, I'm going to choose that one because I want to learn from them. Right on. Yeah, we'll put a free plug in for Satanta College right now. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be following in your footsteps in just a matter of weeks. Sometime in September, I'll start my master's program there for sports injury and return to performance. And I'm very excited to be learning. And the nice thing is, is that you were mentioning before we got on the air is that it fits into your lifestyle. If you're a working professional, if you're a father, like you are of young children, me a bit older, but it just allows me to learn at my own pace to not be interruptive through my business day, but to integrate it all. And, and within a couple of years, you've got a very, uh, an accreditable uh, degree. So yeah, yeah, look into Satanta College for sure. So you got your master's, you're, you're standing up there at 65 feet above Cirque du Soleil's swimming pool, looking down at this wedge-shaped opening that you and two other guys standing on the platform near the end of the show are going to have to somehow 
manage to get in without hitting the sides of the pools, with, with getting the right entry into the water and so on. Uh, I understand you had an epiphany at one of those moments. Yes, it was closer to the end of my career when uh, I had my first uh, child. And you kind of look at, from a different perspective, what you're doing and how long you want to keep doing that. But from the beginning, I had this in my mind that the, as soon as I have an option, I, I want to move to coaching. So as soon as I started uh, my master's degree, I knew that once I have that one and I have an option, I want to work with athletes full time. And uh, if it's possible, at Soleil sort of it would be amazing. But if it's somewhere else and later I come back, that's, that's also great because to be honest, it's the, the positions are very limited. So, so that it just happened, perfect timing, uh, luck, who knows why, but um, re, uh, I actually worked with Rage and, and another position opened up and uh, they felt like I'm the right fit for the job. So I've been doing this for two years, so hopefully I'm not doing that. Now, bad job. No, I, I, I imagine that you're not. And from what I've seen, and just by hanging out with you during the national conference uh, a few weeks ago, I can see that you're doing a, a wonderful job. But I've got to say, boy, is your job uh, just amazingly complex. Because you think about a football strength conditioning coach designing programs for different positions. You've got your linemen, the O-line, the D-line. You've got your corners, your secondaries. You've got your quarterback and your punter and kicker. You've got your special teams. Everyone's got unique positions and therefore unique physical requirements. There's a different needs analysis for, for almost everyone on the team. So the programs that are created within a football team are quite vast and diverse. But now you've got what 80 performers or so in only in one show you're dealing with three shows you're dealing with synchronized swimmers you're dealing with power lifters contortionists uh, high divers gymnasts uh, uh, jugglers clowns uh, the, the list continues on it's i think your programming is the most diverse uh, uh, comparable to the previous guest which was christoph fees over with Red Bull and all his extreme athletes from last week. But I mean, how many, what is it like, Tomash, what, in terms of program design and, and give us an idea of the different types of athletes you're having to work with. Yeah. You get to I work actually, with. I actually completely agree with what Christoph said. And, uh, and I can very much relate to those things uh, because our job's somewhat similar in terms of working with unique athletes. Um, but as you said, it's, it's, it's a very complex job. So I always look at it when I approach programming that the more complex the environment, the more I have to simplify things. And uh, so I work with 150 athletes currently that uh, they, they come from 30 different country, countries and uh, they do 20 different disciplines. That's like 20 different sports. So it's a big operation. It's a big task. Uh, and actually at the wow. NSA conference, a lot of coach came to me and asked me, and they told me uh, that they saw one of the show and how amazing these athletes, these artists are amazing, and they can't even imagine how to train them. And my answer was like their, their programs and their needs are more general than they think. Because what they do all day long is so specific and at such a high volume 
that that makes your programming somewhat easier because when mm. you actually do your needs analysis and, and you rely many times on observation and your coach's eye because you don't have a ton of research behind you, um, that, that needs analysis helps you what to avoid. Because if they do this, this kind of, they go through the same movement pattern, they, they stress the same joints every night, 10 times a week, 480 times a year. Plus they have extra act specific skill trainings uh, before the shows many times. Those are the things I might look at it if there is a compensation pattern or something going on. But other than that, I don't really want to stress further the joint. Uh, most, of the, 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 most of the athletes are um, strength power athletes. So high force output, high power. That comes with the cost. And, uh, and so in my program, I don't necessarily want to uh, stress further those joints. And that's the, the basic principle. Other principles, I have to avoid soreness because every night they have to perform. We normally work at sub-max level because that can get you strong as well and not necessarily pushing to the limits uh, because during the day you do a, a, you know, a maximum intensity work and at night performing two shows, that's not necessarily doable and probably the buy-in wouldn't be uh, amazing. Um, and short, effective workouts. Ideally, if I can uh, have them in for 30, 35 minutes, that's ideal. I don't necessarily want to see them uh, doing more. Um, and is it, is it mainly like regen, rejuvenative? Uh, you say so, submaximal, but I mean, I imagine there's, first of all, there's no off season. There's, except maybe when they drain the pool for a few days, once a year or something like that. But uh, at least in the O show, the other shows, it's continuous. They're on five days a week, correct? And then there's two days a week where there aren't shows? Yes. Yeah, so we don't have the off season to kind of offset that kind of repetitive uh, movement and overuse uh, injuries that they are uh, dealing with. So you still have to somehow find ways in, in season because that's in season all year long to give them the intensity, but also do active recovery. And that, that comes down uh, based on like subjective um, feelings, questionary. So I can't really tell how certain individuals feel in two or three or four weeks. So many times if I, if I want them um, to do a power workout, because uh, every week we try to do something explosive at very low volume, uh, I just tell them, just do it when, you, when you're fresh. Maybe it's first day of the week. Maybe for some, it's, it's the middle of the week. The, the workloads are different. So up until one hour, before, one hour before the show, that's when they get the, the lineup. That shows them what they have to do that night. So when, when they complete a workout, they have no idea if it's a very difficult day or a kind of easier day. Is that because that, of staffing, Me, meaning you've got a couple of performers that aren't going to make it, so they have to take up the slack? Or it, I mean, the, the programs, the, the shows are the same time after time. So how, how does it change for them? So it's uh, just based on rotation. So if you have maybe uh, two main acts in the show, you might rotate around. And within the act, you can also have an easy track or a, or a more difficult track. I see. So it may, you might do uh, two very difficult dives in the show, or you do three light jumps, which is like you can do anytime. So ah. the stressors are different. But again, you have no idea how that turns out, because if someone gets sick, calls out, gets injured, that changes everything. So 
we don't we sometimes have on call artists who come in and uh, and substitute or cover uh, a position that someone just went out uh, but many times we don't. So if there is a group of six divers, for example, and one of them um, is injured, the five has to do the same workload. And if it's two out, now that's 33%, four has to pick up the extra work and, and do more. That creates more workload, more stress, and higher risk for injuries. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about injuries because some of the performers are more susceptible than others, right? You've got some, some of your performers have been with these shows since their inception, a few at least, but then there's others that only, they can only rotate in for two to three years before they have to uh, move on, mainly due to the, the wear and tear that's required in the performance. Uh, so what injuries are you seeing and, and, you know, you've got your own physios on staff, right, on site, but um, we, what, yeah, what are the common injury sites? It's pretty much everything. So if we have acrobats, mostly ankle uh, injuries, synchronizers, hip shoulders, aerialist shoulders, lower back. But if I look at just a general picture, it's uh, lower back. Majority of the issues are lower back. I would say second is uh, hips and shoulders and then ankle problems. So it's very, it really depends on the discipline they, they, they're doing every day. And that's you know, no surprise. Plus uh, many times they come here uh, after 15, 20 years of professional sport. So they don't necessarily come here as uh, you know, their joints are in a great, uh, it's great, in a great health. So, we just try to mitigate or reduce because it's really hard to offset that kind of workload they experience on an everyday basis. So we just try to do our best to reduce and increase tissue resili resiliency, uh, tissue load bearing capacity. These are the, the, the main, uh, main points. And with that, that's mainly the sports medicine department. So I work with them uh, closely to, to make sure we identify those, uh, let's say limiting factors for the groups because if you have that many athletes, you kind of have to find uh, the priorities where you can get the biggest bang for your buck. And uh, when, I, when we look at groups, we have a lot of data to say, um, let's say 80% of the theater board artists who are jumpers have um, ankle mobility issues. That is a big limitation for their job and creates a higher risk for injury. So obviously the group program is going to involve uh, maybe a, a prehab protocol uh, prescribed by the sports medicine department and um, and we also within the group try to identify those individuals who don't necessarily deal with those problems but but with others but it's that's one of the biggest challenge to, to to create individualization within the big group because that requires more individual coaching that requires more time and those are the things that we are limited with i imagine we're going to take a pause in the action, a little intermission here, because I want to tell you about a course that I'll be teaching a workshop, in fact, called Exploring Foot Wedges. This will be September 23rd, just outside of Boston, at Physio X Physical Therapy Clinic in Needham, Massachusetts. Now, we're going to be exploring an entire one-day workshop on the biomechanics in a closed-chain environment of the foot and how it reacts all the way up the body and how using these little wedges, we can create more efficient mechanics through the body, kind of clean up patterns and show you really how powerful these little tools can be. 
If you can't make it in person September 23rd in Needham, Massachusetts, well, you can take my online course. In fact, the NSCA has approved that course for 0.5 CEU units. It's kind of like going to a weekend workshop all rolled into one day. Check it out at rockysnyder.com and let's get back into it. Curious, what makes up your medical staff? Do you have a, you mentioned sports medicine. Do you, do you have an orthopedist or a sports med doctor? Or there's a physio, is there an athletic trainer, a massage therapist? What, what makes up your, your medical so, team? Normally we have uh, athletic trainers, physiotherapists, uh, and a massage therapists on, on staff who come in on a daily basis. And uh, other than that, if they need a psychologist, a nutritionist, we just uh, refer them out to professionals we work with. Even and that, that kind of puts the uh, performance team as complete. And then when it comes to strength conditioning, uh, mental performance or uh, visualization coaches or anything like that, who's, who's made up within the training staff aside from yourself? Um, so we have, we have a show coach in every show that those are mainly the, the, the coaches who take care of the quality of the act and pretty much like a, like a sport coach that I can, I can have the uh, biggest comparison with. Uh, so we have the PMAT department, we have strength and conditioning, um, stage management, and all the technical crew who works behind the, the scene. And then you're talking about three shows that are running two times a day, uh, an early evening, later evening, performances, uh, Wednesday through Sunday, I believe, right? Mondays and Tuesdays, no shows, is that correct? It's just all, but other shows have different days of, but that's the, that's the, the same, five days and two days off. Uh-huh, so there's always a, a show that somebody can there's go see no some. matter what night of the week, yeah, that would make sense. But how does it work with your rotation, you professionally? When, how much time do you spend at Love? How much time do you spend at O or so on? What's it like? I spend two days at O and Mister each week and uh, one day at Love. And the other SNC coach uh, doing the same thing, two days at MJ and Kai and one day at Love. This is so far the best solution we have. And this is why if we get only two times 30 minutes with the artist, we, obviously it's it's important to supervise them and and make sure that they're doing the right thing but more important that we give them some tools that they can take away with them and use it on a daily basis and when i see those things coming back when when i see them warming up and they use some of the things i give them and it, they felt like it's beneficial those are the things that i'm, I'm kind of looking for as a as a big win and your days of the week stay consistent uh, so that there's, there's no uh, guess as to when you're going to be there. The performers always know, okay, these are Tomasha's days with us and so on. Yeah, it's, it's standard. Uh, when we set up the schedule, it basically depends on the show. They can request that or they ask the artist which days are the most uh, optimal that you, you guys want to have an SNC coach. So if they work five days, normally the first day is always very busy with stage training, they go through a bunch of things, meetings. So the ideal days are the second and the fourth day. And uh, that gives them a nice day off between and then they work out again. Uh, but there are always individual cases where someone you know, cannot work out that day when I'm there. So they have the autonomy to complete the workout at a different day as well. 
Got it. And in regards to turnovers with the performers, is that just a continuous changing dynamic? Or are there times where you've got this regular group of performers, they're, they're here for several months, and there aren't going to be any casting changes? Or is, is this something that's just continually happening? Normally we have a full time full time uh, staff on place uh, as far as like artists and uh, there's a few artists on temporary contract. Those are the ones who are replacing uh, an injured artist, mostly artists who are out long term. So they might get a three, six months, one year contract, and then uh, they might get extended. There are changes, but every show has full time artists and i would say 80 90% of the cast is is full time so there are no changes they do the same shows there is no rotation between the shows um unless an artist wants to wants to change but then they they request to be transferred to a different show but like this week do you have any new performers coming in uh new artists Last few weeks, I, I, had a, I had a few new performers, yes. And how frequently does that occur for you? Where you've got some it, new people coming in? Yeah, it's, it really depends on the, on the weeks, months. If, uh, if you have contract renewals that, that, like, that is six months before the, their contract expires, we know ahead of time that we are going to expect five to ten new artists at the end of the year. So you can prepare for those. But sometimes it happens just immediately. Someone is out and they, they have to find another artist quickly. And then next week, a new artist shows up and we go through the, the, the regular protocol we use. So when somebody that's new shows up, what is that protocol? Like, how do you, what's your interview process? So what's your assessment? So I imagine they are, you try to keep them simplified, but do they change based on the artist? Uh, so first, when they, on the, on the very first day, they are going to go through a PMED assessment that is mostly on the table. They go through, it's, it's an extensive one-hour uh, testing procedure, joint range of motion, posture, all the things, previous history, injuries. So the, the PMED department takes care big part of those and they also go through um, a physical assessment that is i would say very basic um, currently we we don't necessarily utilize technologies which is going to change very soon because we just got force plates and force frames so that's uh, another topic to talk about but currently we do uh, a step test uh, estimating vo2 max a basic strength test with trap bar deadlift based on body weight percentage you're looking for certain thresholds to hit, um, and some upper body tests, inverted rows. It's it's very basic. Uh, I would say a very quick assessment process, very general. Cool. All right. So then they integrate into the mix. You put some programs together. From I guess you know what would be cool is we just talk about your training facilities. The the two that I've seen. Uh, are obviously connected to the Osho, but I'm curious about Mystere and Beatles Love as well. Is it similar in, in regards to you? In one facility, in one room, it was mainly your traditional strength conditioning. There were kettlebells, squat racks, 
dumbbells, barbells, landmines, and there were some crash pads, the trapeze, of course, and uh, stall bars, an area of floor area, nice and wide and open for a whole bunch of movements. But then the other room you had was more gymnastic based. So there was a high bar and a, a trampoline and rings and so on. Is, is that the standard kind of environment with the other, the, the, the other shows themselves, mm -hmm. or is it different? It's completely different. So every show is completely different. Some shows have a huge space with a, with a decent area for strength and conditioning and for weights, racks. And some shows are very tiny because initially when uh, like strength and conditioning, it's, uh, it doesn't have a huge tradition in the entertainment industry or Cirque du Soleil. So when these theaters were built, it's, it wasn't necessarily uh, in the idea of, oh, we need a separate strength and conditioning uh, training room. And, uh, and so that's why we sometimes have issues with the space in some shows. So always pretty lucky. And it's, uh, it's kind of a, a nice situation to have two separate uh, areas. But in some shows, it's only one. And that's why the scheduling and during the day how to, how to go through... 40, 50 artists without affecting uh, certain trainings, that's, that's a big challenge. Hmm. Yeah, and I, here I'm thinking about supervision of the performers of the artists as they're working out, but that's not necessarily the case. You're, you're going in to some degree, supervising, correcting, adjusting, but they're, they're grown men and women, they can handle themselves. But, well, actually that's, Thinking about the age range of your performers, what, what is the age range? Because I know there's some very young contortionists and gymnasts, mm -hmm. and then there's some aged clowns or, or strong men or strong women for that matter. What is your age range? It can be anywhere from 18 to 68. So it's a, it's a huge range. We have acrobats who are actually 67, 68 years old and doing very high risk, high impact, you know jobs and uh how does example, that affect your programming i mean what do you how do you take that into consideration do you uh, that that obviously changes when you work with someone who is over 50 it's, it's not too often so mostly the someone over 50 or 60 we talk about uh clowns or someone who is mostly general population and they just need to move they need a, a basic personal training program nothing fancy uh but even the ones who are 30, 40 years old, now the, the, the workload could be different or they might get a little bit more flexibility in terms of they need more recovery time between workouts. So that's all goes on an individual basis who we talk about. I have a 50 years old, for example, who is in better shape than some of the 20 years old because he consistently uh, putting in the work and uh, he's, he's in an amazing shape. So it's, it's really yeah. dependent on the, on the individual and the training gauge because in general, the, the training gauge is very low. So therefore, uh, the programs are, a general strength and conditioning pro program is just sufficient for them. And how many are proficient or familiar with strength conditioning when they first arrive? I mean, how much buy-in do you really need to to create uh, that's one of the biggest challenges buy-in because artists coming here especially coming from an artistic sport just like my experience they're not really exposed to this type of training 
there's a lot of misconception about using weights and bulking up and uh, getting injured because they use weights and and they don't even know that for example my program there is zero olympic lifting there's zero back squat there is zero certain things because you just have to look at the risk benefit ratio and and they're already dealing with back problems back issues so so I explained them that it's it's not about heavy strength and conditioning is not heavy lifting. We use certain tools to chase an adaptation to maybe make you stronger and that gives you resiliency and work capacity. But there are other ways and we might might break it down all the way to the, the joint level. And and when they realize that we we work with movements and not muscle groups, um it, it takes time and they need to go through that experience. And many times uh, you just need to uh, give them what they want so you can give them what they need. And I like to use that phrase of, um, they, they many times come to you with requests. I only want to work with body weight. Good, that's where we're going to start because that way we might build trust, connection, and, and that's the only way I can, I can communicate why we should sometimes actually transition to weights and use other modalities. Got it. Okay. So I imagine also in regards to buy-in, it's a lot easier to find somebody in the group, whether they're the alpha artist in a, a specific category, or they're just somebody that may have some influence amongst their peers and fellow artists, but you get them to buy in and it's a heck of a lot easier for their colleagues to do the same. Is that is that kind of one of your approaches? Yes. So we highly re- rely on the artist coaches. Every group, every discipline has an artist coach. And uh, they are the leaders. And uh, since they are with them all day long, five days a week, I'm there two days a week, they're a big help. So if we have a buy-in from the artist coach, that uh, creates a better buy-in from the rest of the group. So that's absolutely true. Right on. Um, and, and not to pick favorites here or anything, but out of the three shows, obviously you've got quite a background in diving. So I won't be surprised if you actually say the O show, but is there one performance that you um, are have a favoritism toward? Mm-hmm. Initially, when I started, it's, it's interesting because uh, I, want, I, I just wanted to have one thing, not to coach at the O show. because. I had different relationships with those people. So I, w- I was working with Michael Jackson and, uh, and uh, Love mainly, and a little bit at Cass. So I actually work in every show so far. Um, it really depends on the group. So not even the performance, because if we just look at the shows, obviously I'm a little bit biased towards O because that was my, my dream to be a performer at O. But I look at Mister and I love that show because it's like pure old school, traditional circus. Uh, Love is a little bit fresh, young, much younger generation. So each group gives you a different energy, a different approach. Many times the the artists at Mister and are more mature and uh, it's easier to make them understand certain things and they just professionals do their job. Maybe sometimes at Love, it's younger generation. They need a little bit of more... uh, education and uh, the different approach. So it's a, it's a big mixture of everything. And that's why I, I, I like this job, 
not to be only in one show, although it would be very ideal and hopefully we get there one day. But every day it's a little bit different. It's new experience, different stimulus from the from the artist, different connections. And I don't see you getting stale anytime soon. But what about the traveling shows? Because there, there are those that are in Vegas on the strip regularly, you know, like you say 480 performances a year. But what about the shows that are on the road? Is there a group like yourself and the physical therapist, athletic trainer, and so on that travel with the traveling groups? They have a group of athletic trainers with them. They don't have strength and conditioning. So the touring shows, uh, there is like, I've, I believe, 18 touring shows for Cirque. And uh, there's a strength and conditioning coach in the headquarter in Montreal. So he works with artists who only starting and they might get a, a three months contract just to train for certain uh, one discipline and from there they transition to either here to vegas or to a touring show so that coach actually takes care remote takes care of the programming remotely and helping out the touring shows if there is a, a request but also we, we utilize the the show coaches artist coaches to to help and, and drive this uh forward not ideal but but we we can only have them remotely at this point and in regards to culture it's a word that's become so popular in our industry building culture what do you what do you think about the culture of Cirque du Soleil are you excited to be part of that culture are there aspects that are very alluring to you or better yet what is the culture culture is uh, I, I joined obviously because I loved it and uh, the fact that you get exposed to all kinds of nationalities it's, uh, it's pretty amazing uh, the languages like there are some, some um, groups of people who don't even speak the language so you have to find ways to somehow explain what you want them to do um, how many languages do you speak You've got, you speak at least two uh, two, I used to speak German uh, in high school, huh? and then I don't. I'd, I probably need a, a six-month refresher to to speak that language again. <laughs> but that's Hungarian and and, and English. Okay. Ah. So um, and... yes. No, go ahead, please. From from a strength and conditioning standpoint, the the, the culture is absolutely uh, different. But just a good example when you. Uh, when I worked with one of the artists and, uh, and he wasn't too compliant in terms of uh, strength and conditioning and working out. Uh, and one, one day when we actually got to talk about what's, what's the reason behind this resistance? Why, why is it? And uh, he grew up in a, in a poor family. He, never was, he was never coached. He was self-taught in, in circus. He got to Cerdo which is a huge achievement. It's the, pretty much the highest uh, standard at the entertainment industry. And, and obviously comes the question, why do I need someone to tell me what to do? Because I got here on my own. So that was the, the history. And uh, mm -hmm. once I understand where they come from, it's much easier to, to find an approach and, uh, and, and have a conversation about it. Because many times they, may, they might be exposed to a bad experience. Uh, they they lifted heavy and they got injured. So when I step in the room, they see me as someone who is going to cause an injury, and they don't want that. So 
once you break down those those walls, that's uh, that's where you can create a, and you can build a trust with them and start work with them. Okay, one of my last questions here would be: out of all the styles or types of artists, do you have a favorite? Without making anybody else feel bad, but does is there uh, one particular style of artist that you really are excited to work with? Mm -hmm. I love the Russian swing act. And uh, that is, uh, I don't know if because I, that's what I was doing, but anything that, that has acrobatics in it, and that can be a flying trapeze, because what those guys are doing, it's amazing. And I can't really highlight just one of them because it's, all the shows are, are so different and that's why we have six of them and all of them are, are going great. Um, Wheel of Death, there are so many things and, and the beauty of it, once you watch it one time, even for me, if, if I, after like a few months, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch the show again to get a new input, maybe I see something new and I still find things that, oh my God, I haven't seen that one and I, I know this show and I work with these guys uh, and it's even, more true for people who come and watch one show and one year later they watch it again and they many times they say oh they changed the show I'm like no it's the same show you just you just started to see other things because there's so many things going on uh, they are just amazing athletes and it, it, it's just I'm very lucky to 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 work with them and uh, help them to stay healthy yeah, I've got to say, you do have a dream job, my friend. I, I'm just uh, uh, en enamored by all you do there and, and the level, the caliber of athletes, artists, performers, however you'd like to term it. They're just world class. So wh where do you go from here? I don't want to kind of push you out the door because you've been doing a great job, but do you aspire for other things? I love the sports. I have no idea what they are. So even, even today, like when you work with 20 sports, two years is not enough to become an expert of any of those. So you're constantly learning. And when you work with, with sports or disciplines, you have no idea. That is somewhat humbling because you know a lot about movement, maybe how to train certain movements, but you still need to uh, have a conversation with artists who spend 20, 30 years in this sport, and they have also great knowledge about what they do. So I don't know. Uh, look, for me, probably uh, out of comfort zone experience would be working with uh, team sports, for example, because that's something I, I have I've never done. So who knows? Uh, so far, I the future is really exciting because really finally we start to work with with some technology and and maybe doing our own research, creating our own normative data for the artist and, uh, and taking a more scientific approach. So there is a, a, lot, lot, to look, a lot to look forward uh, at CERC. And, um, and who knows, once I feel like I need a new um, stimulus, a new exciting environment, I will, I will find those opportunities. Well, I think you've got plenty of stimuli and growth potential right where you are. And uh, if people want to kind of follow your pursuits, I know 
you've got a page on LinkedIn, but do you, uh, do you post anything on Instagram? Can people follow you there? I would say every six months I post something, but yes, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I, I, about and, a year ago, I, I started that I'm going to post frequently. So I got pretty much two or three posts and then, and then that's it. Uh, sometimes I try to post about what they do, like behind the scene, training wise, some exciting things. Uh, nothing like, you know, balancing on boss with 200 pounds because we don't do that, but <laughs> actual, actual training, like what they do. Uh, but right yeah, on, Insta on Instagram and, and LinkedIn, I'm absolutely available if someone wants to reach out and have any questions. Uh, I'll put the connections in the description below. And uh, you could also go to my Instagram page, Rocky under underscore Snyder. And because I put a, a little bit of some video clips of when I was hanging out with you behind the scenes at O, so you can check those out too. Tomas, this has been great. I, we didn't even touch anything about sports science. So uh, you know what that means. I'm going to have to invite you back on here somewhere down the road and get you uncomfortable in front of the screen again. But uh, <laughs> you, you've done a great job answering all my obscure questions. And uh, I really appreciate your time. This has been great. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, that's a wrap this week for Zealous. I want to thank Tomas for coming on, as well as the Cirque du Soleil organization. And do check out the archives when I had Rich Kylie on. We talked a little bit about Cirque du Soleil and what he was doing. Kind of compare the notes between what these guys are doing with some amazing artists and performers. In the meanwhile, check him out on LinkedIn. The descriptions are below where you can go and find him, as well as for myself. Have a great week.